There. Your weapon's gone. It's over. Your need for victory, Anakin, it blinds you. You're a great warrior, Anakin. But your need to prove yourself is your undoing. Until you overcome it, a Padawan you will still be. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampus Lair podcast. This is episode number 529, Interview with Mike Chen. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Anakin Skywalker to my Obi-Wan Kenobi, we've got Carl LeClaire. Oh, hello, Jason. I am so excited for this episode tonight because we are joined by the very sun dragon himself, the creator <laughs> of the coolest myth, since Matthew Stover first introduced it in the Revenge of the Sith novel, none other than the author of Brotherhood, among lots of other incredible titles, we have the one and only Mike Chen. Mike, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for also being a fan of Matthew Stover. Oh, <laughs> that, book, that, book changes, that book changes lives in the way that it you... It really does. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the way that you've continued the, the spirit of that book with some of your own work is just... Unbelievable, and worth noting that you're not copying; you're building off of the things he's yeah. given you, which I love so much. I'm I'm honestly shocked that they let me do it. Where like you know, <laughs> I I took like just a handful of lines from his book, and I wanted to like round them in like more of Anakin's story. Um, and we we can get into that later if you want. Um, but like. You know, it, I remember when I was writing it, I'm like, there's no way they're going to let me do this. So I'm just going to run with it. And then like the first the first edit notes came and they didn't cut it. I'm like, oh, OK, then <laughs> we're keeping that. <laughs> Let's make it bigger. <laughs> yeah, <pretty much. laughs> um, well, oh. we, we certainly have a, a lot of things we wanted to ask you about uh, your part in the Star Wars sandbox. But before we get into that. Um, mm-hmm. We always love to ask folks who join us for the first time a couple of just standard fun Star Wars questions. Um, and uh, first and foremost, what's your favorite Star Wars movie? Okay, well, this is not a simple question. Oh. Um, no, it's not. So, it's okay, so I'm, I, I try to respond that like The Empire Strikes Back is the best Star Wars movie in terms of like cinematic quality. It's like one of the few perfect films ever captured like in editing, performance, writing, music, all of that. Um, I would say that like my favorite one is I have a tier. And these are the ones that I feel like resonate with me the best. And I will tend to go to these as like my comfort watches. And this tier is The Empire Strikes Back, Revenge of the Sith, Rogue One, and The Last Jedi. Amazing. That's quite a tier. Yeah. <laughs> It's the more serious character driven ones. So mm. that which like you know, everyone likes something different about Star mm. Wars and that's that's yes. my preference of it. Yeah. No, that that's for sure. Uh just to give you a, a little bit of a of a glimpse, uh my favorites are Reven- uh, Return of the Jedi and Attack of the Clones. So uh very action Jedi heavy. <laughs> um so definitely different flavors of Star Wars. Um but they're all great. And yeah. there's no I, wrong me, way to like Star Wars. I, you know, having lived through the prequel backlash, I remember constantly thinking, like, would you rather that, like, these films don't exist? Like, are you so angry that, like, just give me more Star Wars? And that, that's, like, the same thing today with a lot of the, 
like the discourse of like you know people nitpicking about like I mean we're we're recording this like on the eve of the Ahsoka finale, and mm-hmm. they're like, well, I didn't like this one aspect of it. I'm like, well, then don't watch it again, <laughs> or choose not to watch it anymore. I mean, like, can we? Just enjoy the fact that these things exist and, you know, some percentage of people love it and some it doesn't work for some people. And it's okay that it doesn't work for some people. I think for so long we held, you know, the original trilogy in like such like tight grip because it was the only thing we had. I mean, like I was born in 78, so like I speak very much experiencing this. And now to see like with my daughter, it was funny because like we we're playing, we we're playing Lego star Wars, the Skywalker saga. And she, I'm like, which era do you want to do? Uh, and so we did, um, we did the force awakens and then the last Jedi. And then we went back, we just started the, uh, the Phantom Menace. We just finished the Phantom Menace. And then she's like, well, I think I want to do a new hope next. And I'm like, this is so awesome. We get to go <laughs> anywhere. And then she's like, we don't even have like the rebels DLC and we like, she loves rebels and like, you know, Mandalorian isn't even in this. So it's like to have this really wide breadth of things. And if you just don't like part of it, more power to you, but don't be a jerk about it. <laughs> yep. Uh, you're, you're, you're <laughs> preaching to the choir here. We've been saying this for years. So thank you so much. It's, it's nice to hear someone else say it. Sometimes I feel like we're alone. No, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm also big into like I mean I've written for Star Trek now too, but like mm. you know, Star Trek is like Star Wars, Star Trek, and Doctor Who are like my like holy trinity of of like <laughs> science fiction with like Mass Effect kind of like pushing them up, um, <laughs> and, and it's like it's the same thing. I'm mean, especially like you know there's so much about like the recent Star Trek shows that like people get so mad about different things, and it's like. Star Trek is alive and thriving right now. Like, if you don't like all of it, that's fine. I'm like, but just let people watch and enjoy. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's like it's not that hard to not be a dick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> huh. um, well, yeah. What about uh, who is your favorite Star Wars character? Oh, oh okay. Um, <laughs> it's funny because like, I will say, like, who's my favorite Jedi versus my favorite Star Wars character? And mm-hmm. I, I would say that they were tied before. I've always, like, Qui-Gon Jinn is my favorite Jedi. I think Qui-Gon is just, like, the most amazing character that, like, there's not enough content about him and because it, like, it can't exist in a lot of ways. Um, and he was always tied with Anakin. And I, because I loved, um, I love the complexity of Anakin Skywalker. Like, I always, like, way back when, like, the the prequels came out and I would, like, be defending like you know thinking about the the psychology of like this boy who was pulled away at the same age that my daughter is now and like just not given any support system and then you get the clone wars on top of it that just makes him infinitely like both cooler and more complex but i think like having spent so much time with anakin in like my own head in a conversation as i'm writing this i'm like i I would have to say my favorite character is it has to be anakin but the Jedi I trust the most is Qui-Gon Jinn. <laughs> mm. That's fair. <laughs> when Qui-Gon tells you to stay in that cockpit, you stay in that cockpit. That's right. <laughs> I'm giving really elaborate answers to your short question. No, I love it. Don't be. It's, it's uh, the more the merrier. Um, and then and then one one last quick, quick round question. Um, and this probably will also be a difficult one. But uh, Jason and I are all in the midst of doing like a uh, a series right now about Star Wars music, and because we both mm-hmm. love it. So to that end, do you have a favorite Star Wars piece of music? Ooh, um, it depends. <laughs> it depends on my mood. Um, I <laughs> that's fair. Okay, um, I'd say like my favorite piece of Star Wars set to the music is the opening of Revenge of the Sith when the war drums start off, the boom, boom, yeah. and then the starfighters just come in and then it just goes. Um, and then like when they do like the big waterfall shot and like the song like kind of crescendos, that to me is like, you know, the greatest two minutes or whatever of like of in Star Wars. It just, it's everything about it is just so like kinetic and beautiful and brutal and all these different adjectives you can put in there. 
I think as like a standalone piece of composition, my favorite it has to be Across the Stars. It's just it's it's a really really great song. Um, I like this might be heresy, but I think the prequel trilogy has the best music of the entire franchise, and Revenge of the Sith on its own has the best soundtrack of any of the movies. Uh, I, I would agree with you about the prequel really, trilogy. Really no. <laughs> I would agree with you about the prequel trilogy. They, they, I mean, the, the, the thing is, is there's not a bad John Williams Star Wars soundtrack. There just yeah, isn't. Exactly. Um, but I would probably agree with you that uh, the prequels have the best uh, in general. I think my favorite would probably be Phantom Menace, maybe, but they're all so good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, like, you know, if I want to get pumped up for something, you know, let's crank Duel of the Fates, you know, oh, yeah. like, let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was fortunate. I was uh, so I live in Boston and the Boston Pops did a concert last week uh, called Star Wars, A Musical Journey, and they did highlights from all nine Skywalker films. Oh, good. Um, good. And it was it, it was the prequels definitely got the least amount of love, which I didn't which did not surprise me. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, hearing across the stars live is oh, it's just beautiful, absolutely yeah, it's stunning. A, it's a great song. Yeah, you can do no wrong with that. Well, that said, we have uh, so for folks listening, if you have not yet read the book Brotherhood by Mike Chen, um, spoilers may happen. So just a heads up, um, it's not the intention to spoil things, but um, it may happen. We're not going to hide from right. what happens in the book either. So. Um, <laughs> But uh, the first question, ever since first reading Brotherhood, and that's right. I say first, Mike, because I have now read it five times. (laughs) Get a life, Carl. I know. Right, readers are the best. (laughs) Uh, That's just how – when I love something, I I revisit it a lot. So – but to that end, um, as we obviously insinuated at the top of this episode – we're both huge fans of of, of Matt Stover's um, Revenge of the mm-hmm. Sith novel, and clearly you are as well. Um, mm-hmm. Why was it so important to you to further that mythical element of the sun dragon? Mm. Um, because I, well, I remember when I first read Revenge of the Sith, it just it seemed to capture like kind of like the paradox of Anakin Skywalker, like in just such a really like simple and elegant way um and and like you know before i was ever commissioned to write star wars like i would think about that a lot um just like the idea that you know it's this thing that he aspires and he sees great power in it but then like the 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 cold burnt out husk up form of it is also his greatest fear and to to have that in just a single image is really, really powerful. Um, and so what I wanted to do, um, and, you know, again, I'm surprised they let me do that, was I wanted to give it a place. in, in So to planting it as just like a myth that Tatooine parents tell their kids and then seeing how Anakin personalizes it, but then you could see how, like, he winds up distorting it when he goes through trauma, and then Palpatine is the one who can kind of, like, abuse that like that that distortion um i think it, it just gives the whole thing more weight and so it, for me it was just like taking something that feel felt like so you know perfect for to describe anakin and like having the space to like really breathe and then interconnect it to shmi because I, I wanted to give shmi a presence in my book mm. yeah yeah there, i've always loved in phantom menace that middle act when they're on Tatooine, they're in Shmi's house, and there's just such, yeah. even though that this is an enslaved family, there's still this oddity of a sense of warmth and comfort and welcome. Yeah, um, and it feels like I mean, I remember some of the language you used to describe, um, like Anakin almost viscerally going back to that space, and he's you know he's he's remembering the cool drafts that kind of come in through mm-hmm. the holes of the house, and just can almost feel Shmi sitting at the foot of his bed. Um, it, like, yeah, it just, it paints such a beautiful image of Anakin in those moments. Yeah. It was just really important to, to tie that together. And like, if you're, if I'm going to bring it in there, I think that there needed to be like a relevant explanation for it. Um, because there's going to be a lot of people reading this book who've never read the Stover book too. So right. to be able to say that like, it's basically a bedtime story and he heard it in all sorts of different ways based on like, 
his experiences of the day. I mean, I think that's something that like, you know, we can all relate to, you know, with like friends or family or parents or children or whatever. Um, so the, that was, it seemed like a very, like from a storytelling perspective, it felt like a very logical thing to do. But then for me personally, like I really wanted Shmi in there and it was one of the few ways that I knew how to do it. It's, Love it's it. great because, you know, the, <laughs> so, so the three good. most important people to Anakin uh, are Padme, Shmi, and Qui-Gon Jinn, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Obi-Wan's pretty high up there, but he and Obi-Wan, especially at this point when the book is is you know, taking place, have a bit of a – they're redefining their relationship, which is really yeah. kind of what the whole overarc of Brotherhood is about is how they go from master to apprentice to – brothers as they you know are are called later on um how important was it to get all three of those most important people shmi padme and qui-gon all woven together throughout this story um not only for anakin primarily for anakin but also obi-wan uh has sort of uh looks at all of them as well for qui-gon i mean that goes back to like Qui-Gon being like my favorite Jedi. Um, you know, way back when I first signed with my literary agent and he's like, you know, what's your dream project? And I'm like a star Wars prequel era book. And it was like, could I do Qui-Gon and Dooku? But then Kevin Scott did it. Then can I do Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan? But then Claudia Gray did it. And then can I do Obi-Wan and Anakin? Like those were like the tier, like, mm. or like the top tier of, of what I wanted to do. Um, and so like, that's, you know, I think about whenever I think about star Wars, I remember like even seeing like the trailer for the Phantom Menace for the first time. And you see Liam Neeson, it's like the, the close-up shot at the beginning of duel of the fates when he's holding the lightsaber up and it's just like slowly zooming in on him. And I'm like, this is what a Jedi Knight is. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's so perfect. Um, and, and so I love thinking about like, you have Obi-Wan who's like constantly kind of questioning whether he's doing the right thing. So it's very important to like have him be using Qui-Gon as like his North Star for that. But the thing is, I don't think Obi-Wan totally understands Qui-Gon. Uh, and, and you see that in The Phantom Menace, you know, he's like, you know, if you would just listen to the council, you would be on it now. Um, so like, he doesn't quite grasp that. You get a lot of that in Master and Apprentice, too. And it's like a very gradual journey for Obi-Wan. I would say going all the way into like the end of the Kenobi show. Um, mm. So it was really important to, to have that presence there. It was really important for Anakin to show that like he had such trust in Qui-Gon to leave his home planet, leave his mother for it. Um, and so the, the trauma of like losing that person like right away would just stick with him forever. Um, and to also address the fact that, like, I mean, it's in Attack of the Clones. He hears, or Qui-Gon is trying to communicate with him. And, and E.K. Johnston, um, was, a, she made it a little bit more explicit in Queen's Hope that when, when, uh, when Anakin is at, like, the Qui-Gon, like, statue on Naboo, and he, he thinks about, like, how he can kind of hear Qui-Gon, but he's, like, not sure what to do with it. And he's, like, he's just kind of leaving it behind. And so I talked with, with Kate, uh, with E.K. Johnston, when I was, she had turned in the manuscript for Queen's Hope, and I was outlining uh, Brotherhood, and I said, I want to, like, the, the, our books are so close in time and topic that I wanted to make sure that they really kind of worked as a duology. And so, like, we went over, like, what things I could bring from hers in both, like, thematically and then character moments and then just, like, little details like that. Um, so it was really important that, like, when you look at Anakin and Obi-Wan, they're kind of like two sides of Qui-Gon Jinn. And, and, and mm-hmm. so, like, Qui-Gon is, like, the, the, the kind of, like, unified version of them. And it, it's, like, this constant push and pull between them that, like, and if they had stayed together, like, they could stay in balance. But then you have Palpatine who's always, like, nudging them apart. Yeah. That's uh, fantastic. Speaking of Palpatine, uh, yes. you do some really, really great subtle things with Palpatine. In he's fun to write. Yeah. <laughs> he's a terrible yeah. person, but he's fun to write. 
could you can you say any more about that insofar um well like for instance i think one of my favorite moments in the book um and i think it's in the first third uh, is when anakin finally confesses to palpatine what happened on tatooine mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know it, what what were you kind of what was like the thought process behind that scene? How important was that to you to to get it out there the way you did? So the book itself um, very intentionally like kind of mirrors the plot structure of Attack of the Clones um, because I wanted it to kind of be like you know, Obi Wan and Anakin like uh, have hit this turning point. So let's see what happens again when they kind of go through like the same thing, but their context is completely different. Um, and so an important part of that in, in Attack of the Clones is seen early on, like how Palpatine's like already manipulating Anakin and also reflecting on like, you know, revealing that we, he's been manipulating Anakin for like the past 10 years. So uh, for this scene, I knew I wanted a quiet moment between them because it's really fun to write because everything, every single line that Palpatine says is like a weapon. And it's designed to just subtly nudge Anakin, like, over the edge. Like, you know, go moving further away from the Jedi, further away from Obi-Wan and Yoda and Mace and all those other people who are, like, trying to, like, make sure that everything's structured. I mean, it is the classic abuser isolation, you know, tactic. Um, You can't trust anyone but me. Um, and, And so what Palpatine says, I try to write it, like if you if someone read this scene, had no idea about the context of Star Wars and just read it, and they would be like, oh, "Okay, this is like a mentor talking with his mentee, and his mentee is like just embarking on something new and has anxiety." It's like, yes, it totally works like that. But then, what if the mentor is like the most evil guy in the galaxy, <laughs> and that's where everything kind of shifts? So it was it was really important to be able to show that because that is like the presenting face that he gives to like the public to all of the Jedi and everything. But like, if you know, which, you know, I would assume that every reader of the book knew, but if you know, then you know. Um, and then it just becomes so much more, uh, no pun intended, n- so much more insidious because <laughs> it does work that way. It does work on a surface level of like, this is just like his, you know, lifelong friend who cares about him. And it's like, oh, no, oh, no. And because that's I mean, that's like the classic abuser story. It's like that's how it works. So I, I just wanted to like have every single one of like those needles working in there and then to be able to be inside Anakin's head because we don't really get that space in any of other media. So to have him experience this um, as Palpatine is saying these things and you get to gauge his reaction. So you can finally see that like Palpatine's encouraging him to be honest because Anakin can't be honest with, well, he can't be honest with anyone really. Like he, there's still parts that he feels like he has to hide to Palpatine, but he doesn't feel this. The wall is not there as much with, with Padme or Obi-Wan uh, with Palp because Palpatine is like encouraging him to say, like, you can trust me. Like I've watched over you for the last 10 years. Of course you can trust me. And like with, Padme and Anakin, they're newlyweds. They're both really young. Like, they don't know what they're doing. Like, you know, I know when I got married in my 20s, like, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> you know, so, like, they're, they're still trying to figure it out. But Palpatine is, like, this wiser, older mentor who Anakin feels comfortable with. So even if he won't necessarily be completely honest with him in the moment, he's at least thinking about it. And that's what was really important for, for Palpatine to pray. Mm. Yeah, I, and I I love that you you highlighted that the structure of the book sort of mirrors the the narrative structure of Attack of the Clones because that that clicks for me, uh, mm-hmm. that makes perfect sense for me, um, and particularly as you're talking about Palpatine because uh, not only does he have sort of the personal uh, machinations that he's doing against Anakin, but he also has the larger sort of galaxy impacting thing that he's working on behind right. the scenes that we finally see at the end, which is getting the Padawans um, and the Jedi Order as a whole officially wrapped into the yeah. Grand Army of the Republic, which ties the Jedi to their fate. There was um, a little bit of reverse engineering uh, when when I came to that point, because I kind of made this like internal list of like, what are the things that when you go to the Clone Wars movie, 
like what are, what's what are the questions that everyone asks you know or, or like the missing like the things that are missing in terms of like a bridge and one of them was like how did the jedi officially become military because that's not a good thing <laughs> you know and no. you know in attack of the clones mace even says like we're keepers of the peace you know so um it, it was really important to have that be one of like the landing points of this book but then when I thought about it, I'm like, oh, of course, Palpatine would be the one who's who's using that. And he's going to manufacture a crisis that makes everyone think this is totally OK. Like, we totally get that. In fact, let's give him this cool body armor to do it, too. <laughs> so, yeah, it was again, writing Palpatine is really fun. So writing his speech at the end where he's kind of like grandstanding, but he's also like totally gloating to the Jedi, too, like in, in it's all subtext. But like the way that he says things and like there's a moment where he does a little sneer when he talks about the Jedi and it's just like he's just letting himself enjoy this moment because internally he's thinking like, I've just killed a bunch of you. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, well, speaking of kind of, you know, the enjoyment of writing for a character like Palpatine, uh, mm -hmm. Curious which character has been, if, if you can narrow it down to one, but is there a particular character you have written that has been the most compelling for you? Oof. I mean, I think they're, it's really hard to pick because I think like they all bring something different. Um, like I think Anakin it has like the most complex extremes. I think writing Obi-Wan is complex in a different way because um, it was really fun having him be a foil to Rug. Rug is the one like the yeah. original character that I created who's like this Nemoidian like special ops who if there's any Star Trek fans out here, she is one hundred percent well I'd say like ninety percent based on Kira from Deep Space from Deep Space Nine mixed with ten percent of Garrus from Mass Effect. So you know where my fandoms are. <laughs> um, but like when I was writing when I was writing Rug, like all of her dialogue is Nana Visitor. Like that's I heard her voice in there, um, and like I basically pictured her. Like you know, even though she's Bajoran and not Nemoidian, but I basically pictured her. So then when I'm describing her, she has maroon armor, just like um, just like Kira's like maroon uniform in DS9. Um, but writing Obi Wan to be have like a foil who is equally a mentor at that point um, because you have that mentor relationship with, with uh, Kitar and Rug, but also someone who has seen like the very worst of the galaxy and Obi-Wan has been like kind of more sheltered. Mm -hmm. And so it was important to show Obi-Wan as like, you know, he keeps thinking that like facts and truth and empathy are going to win out because how could they not? And then Rug is, is like, Oh, my sweet summer child. That's not how the galaxy works. <laughs> but there's the, the, it's a different type of complexity because Anakin's playing with like these different emotions, um, and these forces, no pun intended, like pulling him in opposite directions. Whereas Obi-Wan is like constantly trying to fit like this, like really optimistic worldview, like politically into like this this you know square peg in a round hole type of thing like it just does not work anymore when the galaxy is at war um and for him to kind of work with that and gradually try to like accept that is a major change so it it makes his swashbuckling in the clone wars i think make more sense because if you compare like especially phantom menace obi-wan but like you know attack of the clones obi-wan too it's very much like we are Jedi. We're doing Jedi stuff, you know? And like, he tells Anakin, like, we will not exceed our mandate when, when, you know, there's the Padme assassination. But then like in Clone Wars, I mean, like he pretends to be like dead and, you know, to go on spy <laughs> missions and yeah. stuff. So it's like, how do we get to that point where Obi-Wan is willing to like start bending rules in the name of the Republic? Um, and so that was one of the, the interesting points with that. So I would say like, they're all great. They're all really fun to write, um, and because they all bring their different sort of um, their own trauma to, to this, which is the which is why it's really fun to explore. Yeah, I I really liked how you were writing Obi Wan, um, and something you know when I was re-listening to I I listened to the audiobook uh, for mm -hmm. this, um, and as I was re-listening it, kind of getting ready for all of this, 
one of the things that hit me is how Obi-Wan ends up uh, processing and, and rationalizing how he's going to handle Anakin and Padme's relationship yeah. at the end. Uh, you know, he's like, well, he, he's torn because he feels like as a Jedi, he should tell the council or he should directly confront Anakin about this. And then, uh, you know, but he's like, but I'm, I'm not his master anymore. And maybe he just needs some space to kind of work this out. And so he's going to kind of sort of sit back and, and just sort of watch. Um, yeah. Which I I found was a really really nice way to kind of get us from you will be expelled from the Jedi Order in yes. Attack of the Clones <laughs> to just sort of like I know basically you guys yeah. are married I mean, like, in Revenge of the Sith so yeah <laughs> like tell Padme I said hello you know? yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I I got this question a lot where people are like do you like did you think how long do you think Obi Wan knew and then like. He says it in Attack of the Clones. It's like his first line, like, you're sweating, relax. I mean, like, <laughs> dude knows, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, one of the things I, I, I had really, really wanted to do with, with this is, and I'm really thankful they, they gave me the opportunity because it's like, you know, with, with Kate, uh, with E.K. Johnston's, um, her Queen's trilogy, it's like, it's all about Padme and even Queen's Hope. There is a lot about Anakin in there, but like, you don't actually, like Padme has her own stuff to deal with. And like, there's also, you know, it's also about Sabe. It's about the other handmaidens, but I really wanted to ground their relationship at this point, like before everything goes like horribly wrong, because even in Clone Wars, like they're always just like passing each other. And so uh, when I wrote the outline and like in there, I just pitched like it's Padme and Anakin date night. Like, and then I was like, are they going to let me do this? Is this too boring for readers? I thought it was really important from a character perspective because we need to see why they're so infatuated with each other. Besides the fact that they look like Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman. I mean, like that, right. that goes right. a long way, <laughs> but like on, on an emotional level, like what, why are they connecting? And so, you know, I, I, I thought about, I mean, I feel like almost every couple I know, you know, and myself included, there's always one person who's like a little bit more logical and one person who's like a little bit more like impulsive or passionate. And you have with Padme and Anakin, like they are like the two extremes of that and they can always balance each other out. And that's what like they're marveling at each other about. And I wanted to like really, really bring that in there to be like, this is why they're so infatuated with each other outside of the fact that they're both incredibly good looking. <laughs> um, and, and so I was really glad that the, that they allowed me the space to, to like really get into a, a like their relationship because it's really important. I think before there, this is a very brief window of, semi-quiet in their lives um and we want to see them be normal and what I, i'm hoping readers take away from that is that if palpatine hadn't been there like you know or if the war hadn't started or anything like that like and and uh ek johnston and i like we talked about this and we both agreed that like if palpatine had not been there or if they had somehow like like if Anakin chose to arrest Palpatine with Mace instead of, you know, cutting off Mace's hand. We both think that Anakin and Padme would have made it. Like, mm. we think, like, you know, they probably would have had, like, some rocky years, but, like, time and therapy and children, like, they probably would have made it, and Anakin would have been, like, a really, really great dad, like, teaching them to build speeders in, like, the Naboo garage and things like that, <laughs> so... I just really wanted to, to give space, and I totally forget what the original question is now. <laughs> uh, it was um, Obi Wan, how how he kind of came to his decision of how to oh, handle yes. them. Yeah. So, so the the idea is Obi Wan recognizes the hypocrisy in it mm -hmm. because he's like, you know, well, you know, I kind of had that business with Satine, you know, on Mandalore, <laughs> so it's like I can't really I can't really judge too much. Um, but a part of it comes back down to, you know, he. It's like, what does he have faith in? Mm -hmm. And Obi-Wan, poor guy, mm -hmm. has so much faith in the system. And the system is ultimately like what allows other things to influence Anakin. Um, but he doesn't recognize that. He just thinks that like Anakin, like I, he's 
he thinks like I've been through some version of this before and Anakin is young and impulsive and he needs time and, you know, throwing him under the bus right now would not do anyone any good. And we're also in the middle of like this escalating war, like the time will come. And then the strategy for Palpatine is never let that time happen, Mm. like separate them as much as possible. Mm. Um, So, you know, that's, that's the thing is every action that Palpatine does is just to drive a wet, further wedge between Anakin and Padme or Anakin and the Jedi or Anakin and Obi-Wan. So who can he talk to? He can talk to his cool uncle, the chancellor. <laughs> you know, as, as you were just describing kind of that, that push and pull of Anakin and Padme's relationship is uh, it, it, I was thinking this a lot after I'd read brotherhood and then I read, read princess and the scoundrel by Beth Revis, um, mm. which I, have you read that? I have not. Oh, I have not okay. had time to read anything oh. in the past year. I mean, the one thing I will say that's really lovely I've noticed is it seems like a lot of the Star Wars authors seem to be really good pals in a lot of ways, yeah. which I yeah, think is really, really they, lovely. They, they recruit a good roster and we're all very supportive of each other. And like, we haven't really, we don't really have time to read all of the book. That's one of the things mm-hmm. I found out like outside of Star Wars too. It was just like when I would get to know authors as, as I started out in my career, and they'd be like, oh, this person's so great. And I'm like, oh, did you read their book yet? And they're like, no, I don't have time for that. But they're a really great person. <laughs> and it's like, it's just like, take that. And then like on an infinite level, like I, I have, um, I've read Shadow of the Sith. Um, I've listened, well, I listened to the audio book of that. Um, I've read the Queen's trilogy. Um, and I've started Rise of the Red Blade. Um, but it's just like, I don't have time. I have so many deadlines and I have a young child. Sure. (laughs) I I wind up like not really getting to do with that too much. Yeah. That's understandable. The only reason I I bring it up is I found a a strong similarity between the way you were writing Anakin and Padme's marriage to the way that Beth chose to write Han and Leia's marriage right Mm. after the end of the Galactic Civil War. And it's Han is the one who's so focused on, I just want time to be with my new spouse. I want time for this. And there's this resentment at her obligations to the to the new republic now, right? Like yeah. that's going to pull them apart. Lay or gun. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and uh, it just I, as I was like and then as I reread Brotherhood after reading that, I was like, "Oh, this is so much of what like Mike seems to be doing." Also is like Anakin really loves Padme's passion for the people of the Re- the Republic and at the same time has this resentment because it gets in the yeah. way of them. Yeah. No, yeah. that's what I think like, you know, in this, I, I really hope Disney authorizes like a what if series at some point, because clearly like Hayden Christensen would be perfect for it. I know Natalie Portman said like, if they asked me, I'd come back. Uh, and like the only way you can do that is like a what if series. Yeah. Um, but I, I think like, you know, the idea that like if they had somehow made it and, you know, Padme stays in politics, Anakin retires and is like stay at home dad. And it's like <laughs> the dude would be so happy. He would just be so oh, yeah. happy. And then like, you know, Obi-Wan would come by when he's like, you know, in the mid rim. And then like, you know, he would say hello there to the kids and they would have lunch, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, they. They'd have a big hug and then they'd leave and, you know, like, it would be great. <laughs> and every so often, Obi-Wan would just call him from somewhere out in the outer room like, hey, Anakin, I need your help. And he'd... Yeah. It's like, <laughs> okay, it's cool. Let me get in this right. jet. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. Oh. oh. All right. I, oh, man. I, I, have... need, I need that story now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one question I was thinking of, and, I, and this was not something... It just came to my mind as you were responding a, sure. uh, a moment ago about some stuff with Qui-Gon. But another detail you put into Brotherhood that I thought was really, really um, powerful was Anakin contending with what it means to be the chosen one, right? And you mentioned how yeah. right, folks in the temple kind of respond in one of two ways. Either they're like, oh, it's the chosen one, LOL. Um, or yeah. you have the folks kind of like, like – it's almost a little bit of this Harry Potter thing. Like I'm not a big Harry Potter person, but I know enough to know that you know when he shows up at Hogwarts, everybody's like, oh my gosh, it's Harry Potter. Um, so Anakin has, has this kind of tension his entire life in the temple. Um, and I love the way that you chose to kind of define it is that it's not a title as so much as a path one could choose. Yeah. Could you say more about that? Like how you chose to interpret yeah. it rather I, than it being this like, oh, he's he's the son of God, you know, like this Christ yeah. <laughs> figure. But rather no, it's, I, I think like, you know, I, I'm I'm working off of quite a bit of material. Um 
like Master and Apprentice from Claudia Gray. Um, I am just suddenly blanking on oh, no, Dooku Jedi Lost in by Kevin Scott, like where he talks like Dooku's pretty obsessed with like the prophecy. Um, and then like in Clone Wars, like the Mortis trilogy hmm. and you see, you see that Anakin, like y- you see what like Qui-Gon was thinking about and trying to like figure out like, what does this mean? You see that like Anakin, like it weighs on Anakin at different points. Um, and I think like, there's just the idea that like conceptually I was going into it thinking that like, we know that during the Clone Wars, the Jedi are saying, like, don't do this, don't do that, like, stay in your lane. But also, you're the chosen one. Help us win this battle, like, right now. You know, and, and it's like the, the the hypocrisy of the whole thing has to be crushing, like, for someone, like, emotionally. So I wanted to really have Anakin, like, be in his in his boots because, like, we don't have there aren't too many star Wars books that have like the, where the perspective is as close as, as I go. And th- this is like very standard when I write characters, like I don't, I don't usually float above them. I usually like go right into their brains, even if it's third person, like I did here. And so I wanted us to get a glimpse of like, what is that pressure like for Anakin? And because like, you know, it's not like he, he knows it's not like a championship belt you know, that like a wrestler wins, you know, it's, it's like John Cena going like, I'm the chosen one or whatever. Um, it's not the Super Bowl MVP. You know? Exactly. No, it's like he's realizing that like, you know, that Qui-Gon saw something for him and in him. And now he's just trying to figure out like, not just what does that mean, but like, how do, what is this path that I have to go on to fulfill it? Um, and that in itself, like if Qui-Gon were there, probably way easier to do but because he's got a bunch of like the jedi council like you know they're kind of like well let's just not talk about this prophecy business you know Mm -hmm. it makes it way harder and i really appreciate that like you know claudia's book and kevin's book like they show that like the jedi are kind of like dude let's just not like talk about that because that's like some weird stuff from like way back when and you know qui-gon's like no 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 this is really cool let's check it out um, so no one can talk to it on the level that Qui-Gon could have. And that's a problem. So you have Anakin carrying this burden and no one really able to explain it to him or even wants to talk about it with him. Mm-hmm. And so for him, it was, it was a really good point, I think, for like when, when he's talking to Mill, who is the other original character, like the proto Ahsoka, you know, and he's talking with, with her, like from a, a mentoring perspective, you know, he's like, I never asked for this, but I have to learn to live with it somehow. And it's a good lesson to pass on. And so it felt appropriate in that moment because you know that Anakin is like searching for some meaning in this when, you know, the only person who could have given him that is dead. Mm. Man. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. God, this is why your book oh. is so freaking good. You know, I, I, I could seriously like, oh. give like a college presentation on Anakin Skywalker, and I was like, if you keep me here, I will talk for like six hours about Anakin. Uh, we we might have to uh, do, do that like, on another a episode. Marathon, like you know, yeah. like a marathon stream. Like just have me on and say like talk about Anakin. I'm like, okay, here we go. We're gonna raise a bunch of money because I'm not gonna shut up. Mike's got a dissertation, um, and it's just in his head. So get ready, folks. Um, <laughs> that is uh, like you know. I, I will say, like, if we want to talk about the short story in yes. from a certain point of view, I mean, like that was kind of like the like explosion of like everything, like the the looking back at Anakin Skywalker's life, like that's kind of like the 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 exclamation point on my dissertation. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. For those uh, who who may not know uh, the from a certain point of view, the return of the Jedi, a certain point of view, uh, Mike has a short story called Brotherhood, uh, which is uh, basically details um, Anakin's transformation into the force uh, Mm -hmm. as he dies as Darth Vader and then returns as Anakin Skywalker at the end of the movie, which I love how the entire story took place within that tight little window. Um, yeah. It's like five I mean, seconds of footage. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But uh, it was, it was beautiful. And as I, I, I told you earlier, you know, return of the Jedi is, is probably my favorite star Wars movie. Um, and I've always been a fan of the Hayden Christensen 
uh, Force Ghosts coming back. Um, so just how how long have you been thinking about <laughs> that story <laughs> before you wrote it? <laughs> I don't know if you all saw this on Twitter. Cause like, it's really weird how Twitter, like some people see things on Twitter, but like the algorithm is so messed up now that other people just completely missed it. I have been thinking about that story literally since I wrote the empire strikes back mm. Anakin Palpatine story that I wrote. Um, because like it, it just, popped in my head like thinking about like what could i do for return of the jedi and i'm like well it'd be cool if they like let me do palpatine again but like oh it'd be really really cool to do anakin again and this is before i even knew about you know brotherhood the the novel um and i have thought of it as uh an ahsoka story like the the certain point of view would be ahsoka in the world between worlds like right before she like right after she launches Ezra out and she would like have theoretically have had like a moment. And then like, you know, that it coincides with like Anakin, like coming in there. Um, and then like they have, it, it's other than framing it with Obi-Wan, like the, the whole arc Anakin's arc in there is completely the same. Like I had, I, I had thought of like this whole thing. Um, and then when, uh, when Tom, the the uh, the editor at uh, Random House Worlds, he called my agent. So my agent's like, oh, can you talk to Tom? He wants you back for Return of the Jedi. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm not saying no to that. <laughs> and so Tom said, can you do Anakin as he transforms into the Force? And I'm like, I've already got a story with it. So like, I just like, I had, I took everything that I originally had. And then I'm like, okay, so instead of Ahsoka, like we're whoop, we're gonna go over to Obi Wan. And then I like as I was actually putting, you know, as I was actually typing it out, like so it wasn't just existing as like rough bullet points in my head. I'm like, this actually works better with Obi Wan because you have the history with like the Skywalker family, um, and you have the history with Bail Organa and everything. Um, but like for the the basic idea of like Anakin's in the Force. And he kind of has like this, you know, this is your life moment where he revisits these things, good and bad. And he hears like Padme, he hears Qui-Gon, he hears Ahsoka. Like that was all there. And then the big thing is, what is the most Anakin Skywalker thing to do? And Anakin would be like, (laughs) he would refuse to die. Exactly. He would be like, I have left too much. I have to fix this. And so someone, either Ahsoka or Obi-Wan comes in and be like, dude, your final lesson is to just let it all go. Um, so all of that was um, like conceptually the same. And then like the details got colored in as I was actually drafting it. But so, yes, I have been thinking about that story for years. <laughs> I have been thinking about the final line of that story for years. <laughs> it's like it was there from in the very beginning. <laughs> it is. Oh, the, the prose you choose, it, it felt so much like the way Matt Stover wrote Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, the way, that, it, that's it, yeah. You, there, there are intentional echoes of that. Um, I would say also just like in general, Stover is a huge influence on trying to like walk that line between like poetic versus too flowery. Um, mm. I'm a big like I grew up reading a lot of Anne Rice books in my teens, and Anne Rice clearly is too flowery, but I adore it anyways. But Stover knows how to i think marry that much better with like the functionality of like actually getting like tension in there and and moving the scene forward so um i i feel like there's especially when i write star wars um there's a lot of intention to like use stover as an influence well i i will say uh reading the short story and then also reading brotherhood there doesn't feel like a wasted word in either of them so oh, everything excellent everything <laughs> just it, it's all very everything that needs to be said is said nothing more nothing less and it lets you still breathe and take everything in and explore other possibilities as well so like i said we authors love hearing nice things because we <laughs> like we'll hear it and then like 99 percent of them kind of like go out the door but then like the one percent of really mean things like that just stays in your head forever <laughs> so sure it's good does. to counterbalance that yeah. It, so speaking to, again, to, to the short story Brotherhood in, mm-hmm. in Return of the Jedi, um, I have two questions about this. Um, and my first one is uh, is more 
intentional to the story. The second one's just kind of a broader question. But the first one I have is um, when Anakin looks down and notices what he's wearing and Mm -hmm. notices how he looks. And then Obi-Wan notices that there's a much handsomer young man instead of Sebastian Shaw standing there and, and comments on it. And... It is Obi-Wan kind of implies like it was chosen for you. And this is a question Jason and I have had for years on this show. Um, and Jason was the first per- one of the few things that I ever disliked in the special editions was the addition of Hayden. And only because to me, like, you know, George's mentality was like, oh, well, he, you know, he kind of goes back to this place when he was still good. And it's like, well, the last time he did a really good thing was when he threw the emperor down the chasm to save his son. But Jason had this really beautiful take on it all these years ago about how like to him it's like oh it's a great way of bringing back the whole story and it's almost as if the force itself forgives anakin for the this mm-hmm. you know the, the the horrible deeds he's committed um i'm curious if for you if how how you saw it like i mean you, you get to kind of create this um this version of the story where the force almost does seem to claim anakin what what was kind of going through your head is is you made sense of that particular transition. So again, as someone who like wore out the VHSs of like the original before the special editions, I remember like, well, this wasn't even the special edition, huh? This was like the DVD release after revenge of the Sith, where they put Hayden in there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember like some of like my high school friends were like really pissed off about that. And then, like, to me, I thought, like, well, this makes a much more, like, cohesive story. Um, I didn't understand, like, the robes at, at, you know, at the time. I'm like, why didn't they just, why didn't they have Hayden in his costume? <laughs> so I'm like, that, like, always just kind of stuck out to me as, like, something that felt like it needed to be addressed. Um, but it was interesting watching. So I, I wrote this long essay for Nerdist about how we indoctrinated my daughter into Star Wars. And so it was, <laughs> we did this augmented machete order. Um, so if you Google like Mike Chen Nerdist Star Wars, you'll, you'll see it. It's so we went four, five, one, two, and then about three hours of Clone Wars, three, and then the very end of Empire again to kind of like reorient her and then six. And she, she was so happy to see Hayden at the end. Like it just really, really worked for her because of like, of course, if she saw Sebastian Shaw, she'd be like, who is that guy? Yeah. But because, you know, she went through this whole journey with Hayden, especially with like the additional clone wars material, like it, it really, really worked for her. So for me, it was like, okay, I always understood it. And I think George, George's explanation works for me. Like not just the, like this is who you were as a good person, but in terms of like, if this is like the spirit or soul or whatever you want to call it of Anakin Skywalker, how would Anakin see himself? And mm-hmm. he would see himself as I imagine it as like Revenge of the Sith Anakin. Um, you know, like not the like you know transitioning out of Attack of the Clones, but like into but the the like Anakin that is like. He's a general, he's a husband, he's a hero. Like, this is who he could be, like, at his very best. The last time he recognized himself. Exactly, yeah. And so um, I played with this in my Empire Strikes Back short story. So in that one, I got to write Palpatine. So it's like Palpatine right before he has the Zoom call with Vader, (laughs) you know, where, where Vader's like, oh, you know, like the son of Skywalker or whatever. And the idea was that Palpatine detects this and he knows that Vader's lying to him. And so he detects it by like, he senses a disturbance in the force. The story is called disturbance. And he's like, what is this disturbance? And he's like, he gets this vision and it's like, it's like Coruscant and there's like star destroyers above. And he's like, but wait a minute, who is at the center of this vision? And like, he sees Padme, he sees Luke and then he sees Anakin Anakin is there in like Revenge of the Sith look mm-hmm. like he like he never aged. He never got dismembered, he never got burned or anything like that. And then so that was me going back to the how does Anakin see himself? How would that make sense in Return of the Jedi? And so like I, I first kind of planted it there. And it, it just makes sense to me that like, you know, the more that we know Anakin Skywalker that he's like all about emotions, he's all about feelings and heart and 
you know, in like the best and worst ways possible, then of course he would pick that version of himself. And it would be like an unconscious pick. He's not like drafting, you know, like which version of me is my number one pick. It's like when, when the force lets him kind of define this, then of course he's going to show up with that hair and everything. <laughs> I can't blame him for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good looking dude. Yeah. Um, well, I did. I just have like a kind of just a general question. I feel like you've alluded to this throughout our conversation, uh, but just kind of a point blank question is, you know, because I do think you've, you've presented just as Matt Stover did with the revenge of the Sith novel. I would argue that in an even more profound way or, or building on the profundity of what Matt Stover did with his novel, you've really made Anakin a really human character. I mean, I love the prequels so much. I love Hayden as Anakin, but they're definitely flawed films. You know, they, there's a bit of hollowness to it. The acting's not the best. George is very adamant about the fact that he's not a, you know, an actor's director. All that said, I felt like brotherhood really does such a good job of making Anakin this really sympathetic human character. Um, And I'm just curious, like for you as somebody who clearly loves this character so much to write it so beautifully, what do you think is so important about the story of Anakin Skywalker? Why is why is his story so important to Star Wars and to even just like, you know, even outside of the the lens of the in-universe Star Wars? Like, why is Anakin's mm-hmm. story as a mythical character, right? Because Star Wars is a modern myth. Why is he so damn important? Um, so I will say that like when uh, when I first started to outline Brotherhood, like I kind of asked myself, like, what is my goal? with this and like my goal is to make everyone love Anakin Skywalker <laughs> like, that was that was the goal because I have been defending this character for years and, and like even um I mean okay like I I put Revenge of the Sith like I I would not really change anything about Revenge of the Sith except re-adding in the scene with like Padme and Mon Mothma mm-hmm. and Bale like I think that's vital and I like mm-hmm. I understand why George cut it but like I think it's really really important um but like you know, Attack of the Clones, I'm like, you know, Hayden, poor guy, <laughs> he had some stuff that he had to work with. But I do point out to people that outside of like him doing his best trying to talk about sand, but like the monotone, and, and so like I made this such a point in Brotherhood. If you watch very very carefully, there are moments when Hayden chooses to loosen up as Anakin, and it's when he's talking to Padme after they let down their guard. So it's like when they're on the freighter to Naboo first, like that's when Hayden sounds like a human uh, mm. again. And then like when they're on Naboo and talking, it's like, yeah, they're kind of talking about dumb stuff, but he sounds like a normal human. And then like, as soon as he's like talking to master Windu or whoever, like he buttons up. I'm like, Oh wait, this is like, I, I remember realizing this after like my third or fourth watch of attack of the clones where I'm like, this is a conscious choice. I would rewrite some of the dialogue if I could, but like his presentation is a choice of like formality against to presented to his seniors versus like who he really is at his core when he can let his guard down. So there are things like that, that I really wanted to like weave into this story. And so I have my, my best friend from childhood who is like my best star Wars buddy, um, who was not a prequel fan. <laughs> and we have argued about that many, many times. But his mom reads all of my books. And so I'm like, you don't have to read the Star Wars book. Like, I know you're proud of me. And you know that me and your son, like, love Star Wars. And I named his kids in there. And, like, you know, that's great. But you don't have to read it. It's okay. <laughs> and she's like, no, no, I'm, I'm going to read everything you write. And so she reads it. And she tells me, she's like, I, I, she says something like, I only saw like the, the second, you know, the second Star Wars movies, like <laughs> as, as she puts it. Um, I only saw those once and I don't really remember much about them, but I feel so much empathy for Anakin Skywalker after reading this. Even though I don't understand half of like the things that went on, I understand him. I'm like, okay, that's the whole purpose of this book. Um, so why is it important? What does he represent? I feel like, this goes back to Brotherhood, the short story where Anakin is watching Luke and Leia and he says that he has faith in not just them, but the fact that their friends are there too. Mm. And if you look at how Anakin lost everything 
it was because Palpatine isolated him from the people that he cares about and the people who care about him. And, you know, by doing so, he cornered Anakin and basically put a gun to his head. Um, and now he sees Luke and Leia and he's like, they're going to have really hard choices to make rebuilding the galaxy. And then, you know, Obi-Wan's like, look at who they're with. And he recognizes that. And he's like, you know, in so many words, like I didn't have that. And that's why they're going to succeed. Mm. So I think what the morality play here, or like the lesson in like Aesop's fables terms (laughs) is that uh, Anakin, it shows the importance of like, you know, it takes a village basically. Mm. Um, and then when you do that and when you put it at the most heightened stakes of like the galaxy is like tipping on your decision, do you have the support system to help you make the right decision in the moment? And when you have Palpatine saying like, oh, here's your support system, I'm going to cut them all away and then tell you what I want you to do. And you've listened to me because I've told you for years that you can't listen to anyone else. Like that's the real cautionary tale of Anakin. Yeah. Wow, oh, man. I love that. Carl, I you think know, about <laughs> Anakin Skywalker a lot. <laughs> I'm sure Carl and I could ask you so many questions and go on so many more tangents about this book, about Anakin, about just everything that you obviously love about Star Wars. But I think that's the perfect place to kind of wrap it all up. Yes. yes. Uh, we want to, we certainly want to be, uh, cognizant of timing because I, all of us here are, are probably itching to go watch that Ahsoka finale <laughs> as, you, yes. as you mentioned. Um, but yeah, that, you know, that said it, it like Jason's hundred percent right. I mean, I, I have a massive list of questions still that I'd love to ask you. Um, but alas, time is, time is one thing we only have so much of. We're but, not in the world between worlds. We are not in no. the world between worlds and I cannot show up with a flowing, beautiful head of hair. Um, <laughs> um, but Mike, it, with such sincerity, thank you so much for making the time to to speak with us on the show. Um, it has been such a delight. Uh, I, I mean, I, I there's a good chance I reread Brotherhood before the year's out. Let's be real. <laughs> it, <laughs> that would be great. That, Say and, all the nice things know, to me. It's that, great. <laughs> and your and your short story too. I mean, it reads like just beautiful poetry almost. I mean, it, it's such. The, the the language you use to end it, and I'm not even going to use it. Just just to be just to be, if you have not read it, go read it. <laughs> um, but the yes. way you end it, it's it's just absolutely beautiful. Um, For listeners who have not read it yet, I before the book came out, and when I first started to get like the initial feedback from early readers, I told people that like okay, I when I wrote the final line, like I said, it's been in my head for like literally years. Um, when I wrote the final line, I thought like this is going to punch people like really hard in like the best way possible. And I put on Twitter, I'm like, maybe someone will get a tattoo. And some people told me they're like, I think we're going to get this tattoo. I'm like, awesome. Mission accomplished. Nice. (laughs) Oh, yes. I've been itching for another one for a minute here. So (laughs) Um, you're you're giving him inspiration. Yeah. Mike, careful. Um, Uh. (laughs) Well, that said, Mike, again, thank you so, so much for for making time to to be with us. And before we wrap up, if folks want to stay on top of all the future endeavors from you, as well as even past endeavors, you always have really insightful things to even say online. Uh, Where can folks follow you and, and keep up with all the amazing work of Mike Chen? I am uh, so on all social media platforms. Who knows what there will be when, when by the time you hear this, dear re- uh, listener, um, I am Mike Chen writer. Um, my website is mikechenbooks.com, and I really have to update it because I just realized right now that I have a book coming out in January that I don't think is even on my website. So I need to <laughs> correct that. Um, but I, like, as of right now, I am still on Twitter. Um, where most of my Star Wars conversation takes place because they haven't really seen migrate anywhere else yet. I'm on Blue Sky at Mike Chen Writer, um, which is where most of my Star Trek conversation seems to take place because Trek's, Trek fans seem to have moved there first. Um, and then also on Instagram at Mike Chen Writer. Um, so those are the best places to catch me. Great. Well, thank you again awesome. so much. This has been an absolute delight. And, uh, we're very, very honored that you that you uh, made time to be with us. Thanks again. 
Thank you. And if you have questions about Anakin Skywalker, you can tweet at me and I will give you like yes. a long thread of an answer. Yes. <laughs> so, this is, this is all we asked for. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and Carl, uh, if people want to weigh in on our conversation or just follow anything else that we do, where can people uh, reach out to us? Yeah, we are. Well, we're on Instagram as well at The Wampas Lair. You can follow us on Twitter at Wampas Lair or uh, email us at wampaslairpodcast at gmail.com. All right, and I think that's going to just wrap everything up. Uh, thank you once again, Mike Chen, for, for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it. And thank you, everyone, so much for listening to this episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. This has been episode number 529, interview with Mike Chen. For Carl and Mike, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampus Lair. Wampus Lair.